John Bridges of Guild Financial Advisory, Masters of Finance. I can hardly believe myself that I have in the studio today the new, well, one-year-old Chief Exec of the Chartered Institute of Securities and Investment. Tracy, a very good day to you and welcome. Good morning, John, and thank you for giving me this opportunity literally in the week of my anniversary of one year at uh, the CISI. I'm delighted to be talking to you. Thank you. Well, then I look forward very much indeed to hearing about your impressions of your first year. Well, number one, I think as anybody goes into a new job, we're an organisation that was just celebrating the entry into its fourth decade. You know you've got big shoes to fill. I first and foremost, I think, discovered just how much we rely on some fantastic volunteers. The breadth of knowledge that we can draw on as an organisation is really second to none. And from someone who's had a career in sort of public policy, Whitehall and regulation, it was really extraordinary to imagine that if we'd have that sort of level of respect source, that authoritative voice helping us as we'd shape some of the financial services policies I've worked on years ago, it would have been a great privilege. So it's been amazing in that sense. The other thing I'd say is I don't think I could have done the job at a more extraordinary time. In my first few weeks, we saw the change of monarch, the, the death of late Queen Elizabeth and the uh, rise of the Carolean era with King Charles. And I also saw more prime ministers in any year than I thought I'd ever lived to imagine. Um, so the tenure of Boris Johnson came to an end, we got Liz Truss and then Rishi Sunak. That's not the most auspicious start to the first month in your job. So from that point of view, I thought the name of the game was probably going to be change. And I suppose my mantra for that change was going to be evolution, not revolution. I had good foundations to build on and I wanted to make my mark by making sure members understood that we were there to represent them. So what have we seen since you arrived in just one short year? I think what we've seen is, I hope, the profile of CSI raised in new jurisdictions. So it's interesting that we're in over 100 countries, but actually it's a few countries where we've really broken through to be the absolute authoritative body. I couldn't tell you how strong we are in the Middle East now, for example. And I was very pleased that we also signed a deal with Australia this year. So one of the bodies there, Finzi, is now taking our continued professional development courses and so on. So the quality of our training training in particular and our learning and development and just the innovative ways. Things like this that we're doing, podcasts, bite-sized learning, has been something that we've seen grow in the year. I suspect probably to do with the post-COVID situation. Not everyone is going into a workplace all the time. People are doing more at their desks. They're listening more into digital means of learning. So that's been something that's been exciting. And then I have to comment, don't I, on just the state of the economy. Inflation is so high. Many people have got mortgages that they're seeing going up and up in terms of the costs. We've not seen a period like this for such a long time. So financial services and good financial advice, investment advice, the breadth of what financial services covers as a sector has kind of come into the spotlight in a rather good way for us, I think, because we can show what we as professionals are offering to society more generally in ways that has never been quite so important. People are living longer, younger people join the workforce with students loans and so on. So understanding financial management and financial literacy is an absolute premium for us. That is true. But you're only training the practitioners. What about the customers? Well, I think in training the practitioners, you're also helping train 
customers, clients, society more generally. I try to see our job as about building trust in the profession, which actually then builds interest in the profession. More people are likely to seek advice and then understand how good the quality of that advice is and that the standards and so on that we as a profession require. <coughs> Words like integrity and ethics are banded around an awful lot. But I think what we do at the Institute absolutely underlines that day in, day out. So I think that helps understand what clients or customers want and that it's delivered in a good way. The other thing I'd add is I think as an institute, we've done a little bit more. I don't claim entire credit for this, but we've reached out to different departments more. For the first time, we're included on the new Department of Business and Trades Digital Register of uh, Regulated Professions. That's a great opportunity for some of our firms when they're involved with overseas clients. It's It's a massive selling point for the UK that our investment sectors, be it at the financial planning end or at the high-end wholesale side, is really still second to none. And that's something I'm very proud about. What about overseas activities, groups of people? You, You mentioned a couple of them. In terms of Africa, I noticed that in connection with Nigeria, you're dealing with an organization, the Society of Stockbrokers. Now, stockbrokers, a body of people you don't hear about much nowadays, seemingly they still have them in in, in, in Nigeria. Uh, are there any in London? <laughs> and, where, and if not, where are they all gone? So it's quite interesting, isn't it, that in the former Commonwealth countries, they're sort of following our traditions rather more than we do anymore. Because as you've identified, I mean, the point behind your question rather cleverly is that there have been so many mergers. So many organisations now have all sorts of people involved and are doing the sort of client face-to-face uh, financial planning alongside the more classic stockbroking activities. So what we've tried to do is you know, model some of that. The learning, the qualifications we offer now go from the sort of entry point that some of the people who were our classic members when we first spun out of the stock exchange would have followed, down to really quite different learning that we do to the financial planning sector. We are picking up members um, now. We've seen quite an uptick recently in membership from the financial planning side because other bodies where they could choose to be members are not offering quite what we do in terms of breadth. So I think you've got to acknowledge that the financial services sector has probably in the UK gone through more of a dramatic change than some of the people who, are, if you like, have followed our legacy in some of the Commonwealth nations. It's quite interesting, John, because um, most recently um, I was reminded of how the city used to operate because um, we saw um, the the very sad death of Sir Wynne Bischoff and his memorial services coming up in just a couple of weeks. And I remember when Sir Wynne was my chair at the Financial Reporting Council, that phrase that really got coined the Big Bang about some of the reforms, that was just as I was starting my career in Whitehall. Um, And some of the financial services regulation, I kind of wonder if ministers then were still of thinking now, did it achieve what they thought? And has the changes in the sector that we've seen really been sort of what was intended? Or has it been better than intended in that actually people tell me the city now is more open to new uh, ways of working? You've got the whole thing about what AI is going to bring. So we're just starting to think about that at the Institute. So it's particularly good to talk to you as someone who's got that knowledge that goes back such a long way. I think in terms of that diversity, though, um, uh, the other thing I observe, so I used to get off at Westminster Tube Station. I now get off at Monument Tube Station. The people I see 
Um, it's a, a massive difference in, in, in spectrum across all sorts of criteria. Um, many more younger people also in the city, people who look like uh, they're from different jurisdictions overseas. You know, that's one of the things I like about the CSI, that we've got that internationalism, but we've also got regions. Um, I've managed to uh, visit uh, Manchester. I've been up to see uh, the Liverpool branch committees. I'm off to Dublin next week. Um, I've been to the Channel Isles. I've also been to Colombo. I've been to Dubai. You know, it's interesting. You get a lot of the same questions. Um, they're just d- a different emphasis uh, because they reflect how no uh, new or old the sector is. Um, but at every stage, professionalism is the word that comes through and standards and ethics. And I think we shouldn't uh, beat ourselves up. We should be talking more openly about that's what chartered bodies, that's what professional institutes offer. And as a customer, a client, myself of financial service advice is one that is going to happen to be as we all live longer, um, then you need to know that someone's a member of something that matters. So I think for us, a lot of that change that we are looking at is a positive change. And integrity and ethics has always been a big part of CISI. When we do staff at local level um, uh, CPD type activities, I'm always amazed how um, some of the younger, newer entrants to the profession, it really, really matters to them almost more than ever. Um, Because in a world where people don't trust anybody, where you can look around the globe and see politicians behaving in all kinds of ways that don't actually build trust or whatever. um, Indeed. um, It's important, isn't it, that you do know that... You don't have to go too far abroad to discover that. Uh, um, as a former civil servant, I can't possibly comment. <laughs> but, you know, the public opinion of all sorts of institutions, um, you see it in London also, sadly, with the police. You know, the Metropolitan Police possibly has gone through the worst time I can ever remember. Indeed. Um, so, actually, the role we fulfil for society, not just our members, I think we need to just be a little bit bolder about understanding that that does matter. And integrity and ethics are always going to matter. They're always going to be that distinctive quality that builds trust. It was certainly a, a very solid part of the city when I when I joined it, and the Stock Exchange in particular. And uh, it was pr- proud of its record in... in yeah. Well, I, I, and, and, and um, John, I'm very proud that that's what the sector stands for. And um, when I was thinking of this job, um, I was approached by headhunters. Um, and I'll be honest, I was thinking, is it really for me? What would I bring? You know, as someone who's been a regulator, and, and latterly I was at the SRA, I was regulating the legal profession, for whom, again, you can imagine ethics and standards are absolutely core to their professionalism. Yeah. Um, and I just thought it would be interesting to look at a different sector because it's so important for society. People don't talk enough about financial literacy. It's still really surprising how few people um, think that there is a a career for them in financial services. Um, But we... um we don't say enough about the breadth of the sector. So, you know, um, building uh, relationships through professional bodies is like the old-fashioned stock exchange, if I may say. There was that trust, that word is your bond thing. Yes. That's vital uh, for broader societal trust in the sector that's so important. You'll be pleased, John, to hear that the educational trust um, is, 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 is going well still. And um, We've got the Future Foundation now. That's yep. about a year um, um, into its sort of uh, full charitable uh, 
status recognition at the Charity Commission. Um, so financial literacy is a big theme for ours. Um, we've just had our uh, five summer interns. They just left last week. We've just got two uh, now who'll leave at the end of this week. Doing our bit by opening up um, uh, people's minds to what a job in financial services might look like through uh, things like summer internships and work experience is vital. Um, and again, I think we should all be proud that so many firms do that now. Um, uh, this elitism tag, um, it, it's its not valid. People want high calibre individuals to become strong professionals in the sector. And every firm wants that. doesn't matter if you're, um, you know, one of the big corporate consumer goods brands or a big retailer. You always want the best people. It's a war for talent. Indeed. These interns you've just mentioned, where where are they from? What are their backgrounds, roughly? So um, a range of people, we try and openly advertise. Yeah. So we use um, classic social media platforms like LinkedIn. We say this is a, a programme, it's going to be a summer programme, you'll be doing a project and you'll be doing a presentation at the end of it. So they know they've got to do something that's a distinct project. Uh, we pay our interns. Uh, so we pay uh, just above the minimum wage, um, whereas many internships, as you know, are unpaid. Indeed. Um, so that, I think... <laughs> makes us attract a pool of talent. Um, I think I'm writing saying uh, we had uh, Tiago, Joseph, Magnus, Elena and Lara. Um, and they all came from very different universities. Um, they weren't all based in London. I think two are studying sciences at university. One, I think, had done, I want to say, something like marketing or sales or, or something like that. So they had a variety of experience themselves. Um, and actually, it's been brilliant because what we think is we also learn a lot about who we will recruit in future. We learn an awful lot for the benefit of our men member firms about what the talent pool is like. Um, and we're doing our little bit, I think, to help people who might not have obviously got work experience in the city get an insight into what it's like. Um, and I think that's where, again, the role of a professional body goes beyond just its direct membership to about giving opportunity to grow membership in the future from uh, newer entrants to the labour market. And I think it's very important because there are still a lot of myths about working in the city which you will have helped to spell well, I think we've all got to, haven't we? Um, and in every aspect of what you do. So um, I've just done a little uh, leadership piece for one of the headhunting firms. You know, what does it mean to be a leader in a, a membership body? Yep. People think of membership bodies in a very old-fashioned way, don't they? Like a sort of private members club, mm. which is a completely different sort of um, theory. What we are is a, an arm of public policy development. You know, we are serving our members who have to meet new legislative requirements um, the consumer duty has just come in. It's very early days. Um, I'm talking to the uh, CEO at the FCA later. Nicole Rati is coming to talk to us um, uh, about, you know, members and, and, and how they are dealing with the new regulatory changes. We have all got a part to play. It's not just about the uh company rules or about the um, what your boss wants you to do. It's about all of us demonstrating um, we aren't in groupthink, but we are a part of a sector that knows what it's doing. And so our views do matter. We can be an authoritative commentator. And a lot of what you do is done online nowadays, online courses and so on and so on. Yeah, um, uh, absolutely. Um and, and, and as you say, it, it's learning in all its forms because what we are discovering, we're just about to do a new member survey, um, is we're uh, finding that more people don't even want to come to physical events. They want online 
networking, uh, yeah. which is a kind of new term of art post-COVID. Yeah, uh, but, but you're quite it. right. Um, and the other thing I'd say is it allows greater uh, joining up internationally. So we have done um, great things selling our qualifications and learning overseas, but we haven't necessarily had an international membership network. We haven't got the alumni that you might no. get from some of the leading business schools and yeah. so on. So that's one of the innovations that we're looking at right now. And actually, because of the advent of online events and, and that connectivity um, international membership is, we think is an opportunity for us um, and we think utilising um, 20 Fenchurch Street which in itself is a rather iconic building which is where we're fortunate to be based um, uh, can do more for that internationalism and, that, and that's an important feature of this City of London going forward um, and the role that CSI will play in that. We've also find it's helped us offer remote invigilation in different ways. We're about to appoint the new director of uh, learning, the new executive director interviews with this week. Um, a couple of members of the board and I uh, uh, have, have got our preferred candidate. We're going through the due diligence text and so yeah. on. But one of the big areas of questioning was about, well, how do you innovate in terms of developing and, and administering qualifications. You know, it's not the same as in my day. Um, even my own children who are at university currently, um, they don't learn in the way I did. They don't go and discuss an essay with their tutor um, several times a week. No. Uh, a lot of the lectures are entirely online. Um, so actually the skill set in how you work and how you learn, we all need to sort of um, re-engineer that, as it were, in the workplace. And back to the point I made about having interns, it's amazing how skilled they are in, in, in digital in a way that the rest of us are sort of sort of ad hoc picked it up as we've gone along. Um, I didn't. I did used to write on a piece of paper, uh, and my essays went in still handwritten. Latterly, they were done on a computer. The spectrum of change seems to get ever faster. Um, and um, you know, we as a as a body that's about lifelong learning have got to recognise that. So my personal view is uh, more digital, more online is is an opportunity, um, and it probably is one that also for many people um, gives them more more accessibility, particularly if they are in busy jobs, to when they do their learning and helps boost their professional development. Can I talk a little bit, please, about your past career? Uh, because you've been in some interesting places, haven't you? Um, the SRA and the FCA, I suppose, can be, can be compared with one another. I always felt that I was very lucky as um, a senior woman in Whitehall at a jolly good time. Yes. So we'd had our first female prime minister in Margaret Thatcher and I joined at the sort of tail end of the John Major government. And then it was a new Labour for quite a long time. It was a steady Labour government. Yeah. And um, I worked on a number of policies um, where it was positively encouraged that you got business input and ideas. So um, I was lucky. I was allowed to be seconded out quite a lot. Um, I did a very big project with the late Lord Minus, um, when the corporate bank got into big trouble, he did a most amazing governance review and we managed to recapitalise the bank. I still did that as a civil servant on secondment from Whitehall. Um, I've been seconded into other companies. So I've always had a job as a civil servant that had a very outward-facing policy element to it. So I always feel very lucky that then I've gone into regulation and now I've gone into a membership body, a yes. chartered body of 
great um, uh, sort of um, uh, pedigree where I can hopefully now navigate some of the other connections to make us even more relevant going forward. So as I say, I often say, yeah, I've had a fantastically interesting career, but I'm not sure I'm your classic Whitehall civil servant that people imagine from no, Yes Minister. No, 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 you're not. And I suspect that's why uh, somebody suggested and I'd ask you about your experiences in these places. Um, and I will say also, John, that, you know, I can name check all sorts of figures that I learned masses from. Um, I think I worked in Whitehall at a time with some really interesting politicians and some really good senior business people who yes. wanted to make a difference. Um, and I think that making a difference is why I joined the public sector way back when I was a young graduate. Um, and mm. what I think, again, if I may say, uh, not that anyone would listen to me in Whitehall these days, but I just think um, some of it now just needs a recalibration we've all got to be working together because the problems of the day are just so much more difficult um, it is not easy to solve global um, energy problems no. um, or wars and so on um, in, in jurisdictions where you know we can only watch to some extent and try and help but we aren't directly involved um, and that's before you add in where you know we may be seeing espionage or not um, uh, you know a spy in the house of commons a researcher could have got through all the various security processes, could they? I mean, you know, it, it really does seem sometimes like we're living in a Bond movie. Um, so my times in Whitehall were much duller, um, but actually I think I learnt more. Um, and the other thing I'd say is um, from a societal perspective, um, uh, I'm fortunate I live in London. I've lived here ever since I arrived to work in uh, Whitehall in the Department of Trade and Industry as it then was. Um, it definitely seems more edgy. Um, we have all sorts of issues around uh, people, I think, more obviously in need of help uh, on the streets. Mental well-being seems to be something you see daily now. Yep. Um, and people who are, again, sleeping in, in shop doorways. That's not good. Uh, and we all need to be slightly worried about that. So when we do work, um, when we sponsor students through the Educational Trust or we are helping people um, get training and development that they wouldn't otherwise get, that makes me feel even more proud of what the Institute's done over the last uh, 30 years and what we'll do in the next 30. Because we have an important place in society and I want us to be talking about that a little bit more uh, because I think people are forgetting um, that the city contributes an enormous amount to the UK economy and its voice needs to be heard because it's doing good stuff that people just don't know about. Tracy, this has been super. Oh, okay. Absolutely super. I don't think I've said that in this room before <laughs> towards the end of one of my podcast recordings but it really has been Refreshing meeting you, listening to you, hearing your enthusiasm for the job and hearing about some of your plans for the future. I look forward to seeing them come to fruition. I look forward to CISI becoming even more well-known than it currently is. Thank you for coming along today. Oh, John. And I wish you well. Can I hope we meet again and keep in touch? Absolutely, we must. And you've been so kind and gracious. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you, John. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcast app. This content is issued by Guild Financial Advisory Limited, which is authorised and regulated in the United Kingdom by the Financial Conduct Authority for designated investment business and is a member of the Aquis Stock Exchange. Nothing in this podcast should be viewed as investment advice. 
listeners should consult an investment professional before making any decision regarding topics mentioned in this podcast. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and not of Guild Financial Advisory. Please note that participants within this podcast may have financial interests in the matters discussed. <laughs>